Blog Talk Radio. Greetings. Thank you for joining me, Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry, as we discuss today's episode, Male Officers and Female Victims, The Death of Sandra Bland, and What We Can Learn. First, allow me to preface this show by extending my condolences to the family of Sandra Bland, and it is my understanding, pursuant to a release or statement that was made on her family's behalf through their sorority that the family did not want individuals hag-tashing and or conducting media programs or services as it pertains to her death. So I want to respectfully be able to publicly respond to that as follows. While I do not personally know what it's like to lose a family member to this type of death, I do believe respectfully that this is a matter of public concern. This is an individual who was taken out of her vehicle as a result of allegedly violating a public ordinance, allegedly. Something as simple as a traffic signal or failure to signal. This is an individual that allegedly was cited for allegedly resisting the arrest and or commands of a quote-unquote public servant. This is an individual who was allegedly either murdered, hung, or forced to be hung in a public facility, taxpayer payments, through the ownership of a county jail. And so all of these are conducive to public concern, although respectfully, her death individually is one of a private matter. But this is not simply about Sandra Bland. This is about the number of death, police citizen encounters, and contrary to most beliefs, statistics do not support that the majority of individuals killed by police officers to be African Americans. Rather, statistics establish that 39% of individuals killed by police officers this year alone have been white, 25% African American, which is extremely high in terms of the disparity for the number of people that we represent or our representation for the general population. So I want to respectfully be able to say I understand the concern. My show is not attempting to engage in an investigative matter, if you will, and or to add any insult to the issues that are already before and facing the family, but to shed a different light, to utilize her transition, her death, as a way to educate and inform and to start by discussing the issue of male officers and female victims. And we will discuss more of that when we return. Thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry on today's episode, Male Officers and Female Victims, The Death of Sandra Bland. Allow me to say this. I had the opportunity to review both dash cams in which one purportedly appears to be altered and or edited in regard to seeing a tow truck twice, a white vehicle twice, and a gentleman walking to and from a vehicle twice, although it is alleged that the audio is accurate. So even assuming an arguendo that the pictures have been changed, allow me for purposes of this show to use as a form of guidance to educate and inform us on interacting with male officers as female 
victims or alleged offenders on what we could do differently when faced with the same circumstances. Too often we have criminal defense attorneys who, or individuals who travel the country teaching individuals about police citizen contact and encounters. And I am floored by some of the techniques and tips, if you will, that these attorneys and or individuals are sharing with the general population, particularly those in the African-American and the Latino community who have a different type of police citizen encounter because of the manpower designated to most urban communities that adversely affect how we interact with police officers. And to that degree, I'm going to use the beginning of this alleged dash cam video to the end that is made available through the Washington Post, New York Times, and other reputable media outlets around the country, including but not limited to CNN and MSNBC, as well as Fox, to share with you some things that could have been done differently that may have resulted in a different outcome. First, as a female individual who's in a vehicle and you are stopped for any reason by the police officers, one of the first things that you ought to be able to do is pull down your driver's window immediately so that there's a clear visibility and have your hands at 12 o'clock. So if you were to consider your steering wheel as a clock, 12 o'clock would be the top number, if you will, visualizing your steering wheel as a clock. You want officers to be able to immediately see and identify that your hands are free. When at all possible, try to keep your face prostrate, looking straight as though you were still driving. When the officer approaches you, it is important that our tone, our mannerism, and our diction is under control. Because in many instances, most of these police officers are ill-trained, ill-prepared, with temperaments that seemingly are uncontrollable, many whom have, for whatever the reason, been admitted to engage in policing when in many circumstances they should not have passed their psychological evaluations. Most of these individuals, notwithstanding being police officers, have little if no experience in interacting with members of the minority community outside of their duties as police officers. And when you have that or those variables or ingredients, it is an ingredient for disaster because this individual is really dealing with you in a fearful manner, meaning he fears you. Okay, so it is important that if immediately you reduce some of the fear factors that he has, he sees your hand, your tone, your mannerism, and your diction is such that he doesn't, he doesn't feel threatened by you. Contrary to most of the gross misrepresentations that are made by individuals who are giving people advice about interacting with police officers, particularly criminal defense attorneys, yes, you do have legal rights, Mr. and Mrs. America, but that is neither the time nor the place to exercise your quote-unquote understanding or interpretation of your rights. The appropriate forum to express, I know my rights, 
the appropriate forum to try to demonstrate your knowledge of your constitutional, civil, or human rights is not when you are faced by one or two police officers in possession of a firearm, a taser, a baton, handcuffs, and brute force, and in many instances suffering from some form of mental defect, which should have never enabled them to be on the police force to start with. And this is not true of all officers, but it's true of many. Therefore, when the officer is conversing and communicating with you at all times, contrary to popular demand, when they ask you for your name, you are supposed to give your name. When they ask you for identification, you must provide identification. And if your identification is in a purse or in a bag or somewhere that is not in the immediate plain view, you say to the officer, sir or madam officer, do I have permission to reach into my bag to get my purse? Sir, madam officer, my driver's license is in the glove compartment. It is in this compartment. It's in my bag, which is in the back seat. Do I have permission to get it? Yes, ma'am, you do. Once you have given them that license, keep your hand and return it to 12 o'clock. Let them take your license back to their vehicle. Let them run it. Let them come back. When they come back, that is not the time nor the place to engage them. As alleged in the video, there were things that could have been done that may have avoided an arrest and ultimately a death by hanging. And we're going to discuss more of that when we return. Thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry, as we discuss today's episode, Male Officers and Female Victims, the death of Sandra Bland and what we can learn from her death or transition. Again, allow me to extend my condolences to her family, her friends, her colleagues, and members of her sorority, and to any and everyone who has lost a loved one through a police citizen encounter of this type and or through the incarceration while awaiting to be proven guilty of an alleged crime. At the break, we said that we were going to discuss some of the variables that could have been administered during that time that may have precluded or ended the escalation of her police citizen encounter. And presuming what has been made available by audio to be true and correct for purposes of this show, allow me to say as follows. When the officer returned to the vehicle with the warning and at that point in time asked Ms. Bland, you appeared to be irate or irritated, and she initiated her response. There was then a colloquy concerning or conversation concerning her in possession of a cigarette, for which many people are certain, why can't you have a cigarette? You have the legal right to smoke in your car. There we go with our rights again. Allow me to play angel's advocate because I don't believe in a devil's advocate. And as the angel advocate, allow me to see two sides to this story. If I'm a police officer, who already has entered and or been encountering someone who I perceive to be a threat, or if I, for whatever the reason, have a fear of this person for whatever the reason, the last thing I want to do is engage a woman or a man in possession of a lit cigarette. Because if I'm having this face-to-face -face encounter with an individual smoking who may be irate, 
who may be one who suffers from a mental disease or defect, who may be one who's in possession of a firearm, who may be one who's belligerent. This is not Ms. Bland I'm talking about. I'm now in the head of a police officer. I don't know Ms. Bland, right? I'm a police officer. I don't know her. I just approached her vehicle. So I don't know what her mental state is. So if I see the cigarette, that's all I see. And I see this person taking a cigarette, not simply blowing smoke in my face to deter me and possibly take my firearm or my taser, but maybe taking the cigarette and sticking it in my eye or sticking it in my face or trying to set me on fire. Whether we accept their belief systems or not, police officers deal with those such individuals every day. So they don't know that a Miss Bland is a 28-year-old college-educated woman from Chicago who relocated to Texas to pursue a job or that she had an upcoming speaking engagement on issues of social welfare and social justice and reform. They don't know that at the time that they have this encounter. And I share this with people all day, every day, personally and professionally. Police officers don't know when they approach me I am an attorney. And there is still a time and a place for me to be verbal when I'm conversing with police officers. And if I know that as an attorney, that this is not the forum to go back and forth with an officer, he believes or she believes they're doing their job. So I'm just going to let them do it. Yes, sir. Yes, madam officer. No, sir. Okay. Because I'm going to allow my, the streets is not the forum to pronounce or announce that you have knowledge of your rights. Not when you're dealing with a police officer in possession of a badge, a firearm, a handcuff, a taser, and a baton, and the mental state of a five-year-old who doesn't necessarily operate well under pressure. We have to understand that. We have to. We'll be back. who may not operate well under pressure. There's that television show that says whether one can think like a fifth grader or if you're smarter than a fifth grader. There are a lot of police officers we have to understand that graduate straight out of high school, many of whom are able to become a police officer within two to three years after graduating. Many respectfully have no social skills whatsoever. Many only interact with members of the minority community during their policing. And all they do all day, every day, unfortunately, is interact with criminals. So they don't know who Ms. Bland is. So a cigarette, ladies and gentlemen, can in fact appear to be threatening to a police officer or anyone, depending upon his or her circumstances. Now, when asked to put out the cigarette, yes, Ms. Bland has a legal right to pronounce she's in her blank, blank car. But respectfully, the appropriate thing would have been, I will put my cigarette out. De-escalation. You can never have a circumstance where you're fighting fire with fire. Somebody has to be the salt or the water, okay? You cannot fight fire with fire. Someone has to be the salt and someone has to be the water. When she realized that situation was escalating, women, we do have the legal right, hags, tags, Women ask for a female officer, hashtag. Women ask for a female officer. We have the legal right at that point. Instead of saying, I'm going to call my lawyer, with all due respect, your lawyer can't do nothing to help you at that time. You will do better and fare better to call 911, advise them that you've been stopped, 
and ask for them to send a supervisor to the scene. When you have the ability to utilize your telephone, and in some regards you do, for example, when they have taken your ID and they're doing a check, you then can call 911 on your phone at that given point in time. And you can say, I am currently having a police citizen encounter that has escalated and has become disruptive. I respectfully ask for a supervisor and a female officer to be brought to the scene. They will then ask you to state where you are. You can state that. At the time that you're given that information, dispatch will then make a call, which that officer may or may not get to hear. There are circumstances when available, when the officer asks you for your driver's license, if you can visibly see his or her badge number to note of it or his or her name. There are circumstances where people say, well, demand or ask for, you have the right to ask for their badge number. You do. But you can also be escalating a situation when you do that. So incognito, you can basically look over, see the name, see the badge number, even if you don't get all of the numbers at the time. And then if at that point you feel threatened and or intimidated or humiliated, embarrassed or shamed, or that the officer is being hostile and belligerent toward you, you call 911 when that officer has safely made it back into his vehicle to do the check. And you simply dial 911. My name is Sherry Jefferson. I am at, I would like a female officer and a supervisor brought to the scene. State your concern. The officer is being very belligerent and very hostile toward me, and I don't want the situation to escalate. Do you have the name of the officer? I know the first three numbers of his or her badge. Did you get to see the squad number? No, I did not. But those are things you can look for. But when you are conversing and communicating with the police officer and that officer asks you to blow out or take out or remove the cigarette, do it. We know it's your car. Plan on driving it again. There are some little things that you can do to give yourself some added years. Next, once you've made it out of the vehicle, you do have the right to then stop Turn and face the officer unless the officer says otherwise. If the officer says continue to walk, you may do so. Let me preface what I'm stating. When the officer says exit the vehicle, you say, well, sir, could you open the door, please, so that you can still see my hands at 12 o'clock. Once the officer opens the door and he or she feels secure and you make it out of the vehicle, stand to your passenger side of the vehicle. That gives you a little sense of control, but it also keeps you in front of the dash camera. And it doesn't remove you from the camera. In this instant, why would she walk away from the camera and the officers then engage in a physical altercation with her, which is heard but not seen? There's enough movement around the body of the two vehicles where she could have safely been placed to the side passenger door of her own vehicle, both hands on her chest or to the top of her head, or ideally taken to the back of her vehicle and asked to put both hands on the trunk or alternatively on the top of her head. Now I'm going to take your right arm. I'm going to take your left arm. Now you're in handcuffs. 
Now the officer has and is legally able to do a safety search, meaning they will pat you down. At that point in time, they can then make a choice to leave you there momentarily or to bring you to the back of their patrol car. If you are silent throughout that whole process, having just been given a warning, many times an officer might say, okay, now, listen, do we really have to go through all of this? Ladies, get back in. I'm going to let you go. I want you to get back in this car now, and you go on home. That's a choice that many are giving you. There's a cultural issue here as well. Ms. Bland is from Chicago, northerner, and you are in the south, Texas, with two white male officers. Something to think about. We'll be back. For joining me, Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry, as we discuss today's episode, Male Officers and Female Victims, the Death of Sandra Bland. Allow me to say this. At the break, I said you have a cultural issue. Oftentimes, an issue of culture is not simply based on race. It could also be one of demographics. I am a native New Yorker. My interactions with Southerners varies from person to person, depending upon their open-mindedness and their level of education and their social and economic background. There are many who I've easily and have many times said, the blacks here in the South, some of them I have worse interactions with than I do many of my white counterparts. There are some that have what we call slave mentalities and that when they look at black northerners, they see us with the carpetbagger mentality. Unfortunately, that is equally true of how some of our white counterparts in the South see us. So a white male may perceive a black woman who is speaking her mind as indignant and disrespectful and arrogant. And with all due respect, not all white men, but you do have many who still see us in a domesticated role. You're not supposed to be educated. You're not supposed to be articulate. You're not supposed to be well-spoken, well-dressed, well-birthed, etc. So when they see that, they don't interpret the liberalism of what we bring to the table. They see it as a threat, as arrogance, and moreover, as disrespectful. And so when you're dealing with that mindset or a culture based on that mindset, you have to be cognizant, aware of how you're going to interact. There is nothing wrong with making a decision to either have an ego or to save your life. Have an ego or save your life. So who do you impress by saying, yes, sir, no, sir, may I reach in my bag, sir? No, you may not. Okay, my hand stays at 12 o'clock. But guess what? I made it home for dinner. Right? Because they have a job to do, and in many regards, they don't want to do the paperwork anyway. And so when they feel like they've been compelled or constrained to do so, they have an attitude and are indignant. There are many who don't respect us anyway. Why should two male officers, regardless of their race, have any interactions with a female who is unarmed at that point, no longer in possession of a cigarette? So there was no point, if you will, for her to be taken outside of the visibility of the dash cam and then brought to the ground. She is unarmed. And setting aside the legal arguments as to the traffic violations that occurred and setting aside the accusations concerning those purported violations, the bottom line is the traffic stop was illegal in the manner in which it was handled. She should have never been threatened with the taser. There was no need to ask her to exit her vehicle. And while you're asserting that the quote-unquote arrest is for resistant arrest, you have to know what you're being arrested for. 
And there's a way, ladies and gentlemen, that we can ask the questions to secure the answers because guess what? That is not the forum to defend yourself anyway. So let's say they said to her or answered what the arrest was. Was that going to change the circumstance or escalate it? I respectfully say it was going to escalate it because now she's going to challenge why she's being arrested for this particular charge. So there is no need at all ever for this so-called First Amendment, I have the right to speak my mind and use profanity and engage an officer in that manner. Regardless of whether we want to accept this as truth or not, there are many of us who have had police citizen encounters who are still alive because we know what we're doing. We're not simply professing to individuals, this is what you do because I'm an attorney. No, I grew up in a law enforcement household. I've also have had the pleasure and opportunity of interacting with members from law enforcement for years, and I have also been pulled over by police, okay? So I'm telling you firsthand, even as an attorney, how I interact with police officers. My father taught me the 12 o'clock and the 6 and the 9 o'clock maneuver. Never keep your hands at the 3 o'clock. My father taught me how to ask for permission to get the driver's license and what it is you need to do. How to speak, your tone, your mannerism, your diction, and what works and what doesn't work. There are things that we can do to de-escalate an already hostile situation and using profanity and being disruptive and disrespectful and disobedient is not going to help. When we come back, we're going to talk about what happened at the jail that could have happened differently and what we can learn from that experience. We'll be back. Thank you for joining me, Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry as we discuss today's episode, Male Officers and Female Victims. Please note, hashtag, women ask for a female officer. I do believe that where a female victim or alleged offender is an experiencing a police citizen encounter with male officers, when you believe that that situation is becoming hostile, you have the right and you should, whenever possible, ask for a female officer. Now. When they are taking your license and they go back to do the check or the run, call 911 whenever possible. You also could advise the officer, could you please ask for a female officer to come to the scene? Believe it or not, many officers will do that because a lot of them, believe it or not, as hard as it is for us to believe, a lot of them don't want the encounter. They don't want the encounter. Now, as it pertains to what took place at the jail, many of us may never know until the FBI completes his investigation. But what we do know is there are allegations that at 6.30, she refused breakfast. So what my position would be is this. Show us the video footage from the person who went in the room to present her with her breakfast, which is the individual, usually a trustee, who brings the trays to the cell. Show us that until the time that she was found deceased because those cameras are to be running 24-7, 365. I find it odd that this hanging took place possibly during a shift change. So from 6.30 when you purport that she denied breakfast to the time that she was found, just play and make available for the public that entire video footage. I also want you to take note of her nose. Why is her nose on this alleged jail shot? Some people call them mug shots. I do not. Why is her nose pink? or a whitish color, as well as her mouth. Why is there such discoloration to that mugshot? 
and the two-toneness of her skin, which almost looks as though that photo has been altered in some way. That, ladies and gentlemen, to me, sparks a conversation in and of itself. I was one of the first yesterday to bring that out, and it hit Twitter in such that all morning long people have been Twittering that issue, and it is something that is worth having a conversation about. All her photos show her nose downward. The one photo that's taken prior to her demise or transition at that jail has her nostrils fully open and exposed and a protruding upright position. Why? What happened to Sandra Bland? We want to know. Could it have been avoided if maybe she had the encounter with a female officer? Thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson on BTR. And we're going to do a part two of this series. Again, to the family of Sandra Bland, on behalf of BTR and Attorney Sherry Jefferson and Live with Sherry, I extend my condolences.